Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. Rick Keller, he's with us again. He's been on the pro- program before, the former congressman, and author of a fascinating book that uh, is more timely now than ever. Uh, really uh, speaks to the needs of the people today. Uh, he has some themes. He's been on, like I said, on the show before, and uh, really uh, talks about in his book uh, some things help me in, in life to uh, be happier and, and to function at a uh, better level that you just don't see in our culture today. And uh, we're going to talk to him today again. We're going to talk about his book, but also about his observations and how it works in the world we're uh, living in politically. Uh, the book is called Chase the Bears, Little Things to Achieve Big Dreams. Rick, welcome to the program. Uh, you served in Congress from when to when? Remind us again. So from January 2001 to January of 2009, which would be the George W. Bush years. Yeah, frankly, uh, you know, certainly not perfect. It's been decades since Congress has been normal. I'm not sure if it ever has been, but, but there are way better times than what people are serving in now, in my opinion. I don't, I don't think you can be sane, particularly in the GFP pockets, and uh, serve today. Yeah, I would say as a as a former congressman, the most common question I'm asked is, "Aren't you glad you're not in uh, Washington now during these crazy times?" And it it does yeah. feel a little bit different um, during my tenure. And I would say the number one thing is, it used to be that if you agreed on seven out of ten things, you're still my buddy. Uh, you you may oppose me today on a tax cut, but you may be my advocate tomorrow on Pell grants. And it seems we've got to this point where the erosion of civility is, is the number one root issue. I mean, we have divisive politicians and shouting TV talking heads and mean-spirited people, uh, social media trolls, and I think it's it's become a serious uh, serious problem that we're seeing, you know, playing out on national TV with recent events with our with the Republican Party. Yeah, and I, I for one, am waiting for the science to show, uh, and I certainly won't be surprised if it does. The, uh, the perpetrated, particularly things like spree shootings and those type of things, having a link to uh, a culture of hate that is just ubiquitous today. I mean, you you, you see virtually, you just talked about it, bugging is going on constantly and berating and tearing one another apart. Uh, that easily translates into the world world. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's not hopeless. I, if I could say three things about what I would recommend in terms of civility is, is number one, it's really important to listen with an open mind, tr- truly an open mind, not like you're looking for flaws in the arguments, but truly listen to what the other person has to say. The second thing, most importantly, is, is act respectfully uh, despite disagreement. There's no need to use adjectives and question someone's motive and cut them off and roll their eyes and tell the world that your, your side is great and their side is evil. And the third thing is I don't think it's too late to heal um, fractured relationships. Uh, I get, as, as a lawyer now, I get some of the nastiest letters from other lawyers that you can imagine. And I just pick up the phone, and I'm not a jerk about it. Like, hey, buddy, what's going on? How, how can we work together? And everything changes. The tone changes. Like, you can break the cycle. You don't, you don't, you can't control whether someone else is a jerk, whether it's in your corporation or in Congress, but you have complete control over your response. 
no question about it. And yeah, and and this sounds uh, provocative. And I guess it's meant to be a little bit. It's really designed to make people think. Uh, but you know, m- many people are a lot tougher behind a screen than they are face to face or even on the phone. And, you know, think about it when you're about to engage with someone. How would you talk to them in the real world? Don't think that uh, Facebook or even an email is a real world. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And and you mentioned Facebook. And I, I saw some study that uh, 9 out of 10 people on a typical person's Facebook feed are their same religious party. And as if they don't want to – not religious party, political party, pardon me as, – as if it's you know a, a crime to hear the other side on anything. And so there's no need, obviously, what you said, to, to make mean-spirited comments um, – in, in secret, uh, where, where no one can hear you, but, but there's no need to do it in, in, in public either. I, I think sometimes in this modern culture, we are mistaking kindness for weakness, and, it, and it's just the opposite. It, it takes a strong person to have self-control and be civil in response, not, not a weak person. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, I think that uh, it's apparent for us to remember that. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, about these rules and how are you helping, you know, what kind of forms? I, I wanted to ask you more about the last time you were on. What kind of forms are you talking about these type of things? And what's so interesting about it, and we were saying this during the break, you know, we live in a culture where wokeism, which I'm not a big fan of, I think it goes too far. Uh, it has a coercive quality to it, but uh, I, I do like the idea of, um, you know, being polite, being civil. I, I like that. It's so funny how our younger population is really concerned about this, and the grown-ups simply could care less. It's almost like there's been uh, uh, a Disney movie uh, switch of adults to the kids. <laughs> it's a really bizarre thing to observe. Um, but talk about who you're trying to take the message to, and one of the things you things was about not taking our own selves too seriously. Let's face it. We are so frail, uh, so frail in terms of uh, what, you know, what we know, and, and uh, we have so much room for improvement. And the more we know that, I think the happier we are. Yeah, so I'll address that, the, uh, the not taking yourself too seriously and, and having hope because you know, young people seem to be doing a better job than, than my generation. And one of the things I said, it's important to listen to an open mind. And I'll just give you one example so to make it more concrete. One of the things I always wanted to do as, as, was give a TED Talk. And I was invited to give a, a TEDx talk, and uh, the topic was the power of self-deprecating humor. And when I was invited to give this talk, they assigned as my mentor to help me with public speaking a 19-year-old girl uh, from the University of South Florida where I was giving the talk who um, was supposed to be teaching me over the next uh, six weeks on how to give a talk. Now, I went to college on a public speaking scholarship. I'm a speech communication major, as a member of Congress. I'm a professional keynote speaker. I've given a 1,000 speeches, and I've been a trial lawyer for 31 years. And so as I was driving down to Bradenton from my home in Orlando, which was two and a half hours, to meet her for the very first time, I said to myself out loud a hundred times, keep an open mind, right? Keep an open mind, keep an open mind, keep an open mind. And when I, because I wanted there to be positive vibes between us. And when I got down there, I met with her. We met six or seven other times in the course of the next um, six weeks. And she had nine specific suggestions that she wanted me to do that would improve my talk. And you know what? I did 
every single one of her suggestions, and it was the best talk that I've ever given. And if I would have gone down there with the attitude of, I know nothing, there's nothing you can teach me, I'm a genius, and who are you? I wouldn't have given near as good a speech. And I, I think that's, just to be a trivial example, that that's an example. And so as I'm, and it helps to connect too. As I'm up there on the stage, you know, I wanted my wife and family to get in, to get there and be in the first row so I could see a friendly face, but they had assigned seating and I can't see anything. But um, four African-American young students, looks appear to be freshmen, sophomores, sitting in the front row who go to University of South Florida. And I'm thinking, are they going to be able to connect with some white guy in his 50s, you know, who's a Republican? And they laughed from the very moment I started talking and to the end. And I was like, wow, you know, we can we can all find things that, that we agree on, respect and humor and love and, and civility. And, and it was a wonderful experience. Boy, I think there's two things. Um, you know, and I like to say I, I love self-deprecating humor because, frankly, I have so much content to work with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Ted, that's ridiculous, you think. I've got to use that later. But, it's, you know, there's a certain amount of truth to that. If we're honest with ourselves, we do have a lot of uh, material uh, to work with when we look at how uh, we approach life and think about things and that type of thing. I think it's a very uh, powerful tool for persuasion and one of the uh, um, best utilized tools of persuasion because if someone can make fun of themselves and they don't take themselves too seriously, uh, one of the things that I like to cross off my checklist for filtering things I'm hearing, and we should all do a little bit of that, is that this guy, think, does this person think uh, he or he is always right? Now, clearly, if you're using self-deprecating humor, if you're finding that uh, can use improvement, you're not thinking that. And so that alone is a powerful tool for uh, getting people to think differently about things. Um, the entire narrative is about being right, not about being persuasive. I think you're right. It is a powerful tool, and a lot of people don't use it, I think, because from the time we were young, we've been taught, put a perfect image out to the outside world, you know, fake it till you make it, put your best foot forward, never let them see you sweat. And the truth is exactly the opposite. We we connect with people by being vulnerable and authentic and not taking ourselves too seriously. And it takes self-confidence to say, hey, man, I know that I'm flawed, but I also know that I'm a good guy. I believe in myself, and you should, too. And I would give you a short example, but I think the best example of self-deprecating humor by by a leader was Abe Lincoln was running for the Senate. And in a debate, one of his opponents called him two-faced. And he said, two-faced? If I had two faces, do you think I'd be wearing this one? Well, there's a reason that face is on Mount Rushmore right now, right? Yeah. Well, and think of Reagan. Reagan loved to make fun of himself. You know, he would he would comment about uh, you know uh, this is the best speech I've heard since George Washington's uh, first inauguration one when I said in the pro bro. You know, that's the thing. Uh, that ability to laugh at yourself um, really is probably disarming. It's probably the most disarming tool out there, and it's full of likability because uh, self-deprecating humor just uh, reeks of vulnerability, doesn't it? It reeks of vulnerability, I, and I agree. Reagan had that joke in the uh, 84 campaign with Mondale saying, I'm not going to uh, make age an issue. I'm not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. 
and it turned the table. You know, <laughs> people said, okay, maybe you're not too old. He won 49 out of, out of 50 states. And the other thing I really like about self-deprecating humor is in this day and age where you got the Me Too movement or people are offended, if you tell a joke at work and you're the target, then the worst thing that could happen is nobody laughs. Nobody's going to be offended. You're not. You're not punching down, so to speak. And it's you know. And it, the best thing is going to happen, which people want to laugh. They want to like you. Nine out of ten times, they're gonna they're gonna chuckle and they're gonna appreciate you're human too. Um, but in the one out of ten times, they don't laugh. They don't laugh. But nobody nobody's feelings are hurt when you make yourself the target. No question about it. Um, I think this is really helpful and, and very powerful. And talk a, a little bit about your audience. You know, uh, you know, what kind of groups, what kind of organizations on this particular topic? Again, it, it seems like it'd be relevant anywhere and everywhere. I, I think it should be the number one topic right now, uh, civility. Um, there's a professor up at Harvard Business School. Uh, his name is Arthur Brooks, and he was kind enough to endorse uh, my book, but Arthur wrote a book about this topic called Love Your Enemies, and he used to be a CEO of a trade association in D.C., and I don't think I've ever seen a book better on, on the topic of civility, and essentially he came to the same conclusion that I did, is that at the end of the day, there, there's no need for us to agree on everything or meet in the middle. What What we need is just to be respectful despite disagreement and listen to the other side. Yeah, that's a good note to end on. Best website for people to get more information about your book and your work. Well, thank you, rickkeller.net. So if you go to rickkeller.net, you can get my book there or hear information about me, and it's also available for sale on Amazon, Uh, Chase the Bears, Little Things to Achieve Big Dreams. Rick, I really enjoyed it. Thanks again for being with us. I look forward to chatting again in the future. I am Kevin Price. This is the nationally syndicated Price and Business Show. Stay tuned for more after this.